Welcome to the Week 14 What We Saw podcast. My name is Ryan Heath. Eric Smith is not here this week. He decided to take the week off. Uh, But regardless, we had quite the interesting slate of games this week. So joining me is Drew DeLuca. We're excited to dig in here and talk about a few of the games that we watched. Uh, But before we do that, Drew, I wanted to bring up this first because I feel like this is the biggest story of the week. The fact that Fox cut away from the Tom Brady game, the 49ers-Bucks game featuring the Tom Brady so that they could show Panthers-Seahawks after the Buccaneers fell down 35-0. This felt historic to me. I I don't know if you have any thoughts or takes on it. I mean, it's Sam Darnold versus Geno Smith. How can you not (laughs) cut away to that? But uh, yeah, who... Welcome to 2022, where uh, where the Carolina Panthers are a game out of first place with a five and eight record, and uh, yeah, but uh, the uh, Tom Brady and the Bucks just steamrolled in that game, and uh, uh, Fox made the right call to cut, cut away, and uh, we were to take odds and take bets on whether or not uh, what game would be would be uh, a, a train wreck and runaway. Probably not that one. So we would have thought that Tom Brady would have made it close. And you kept waiting at least for a while there for for Brady and company to come back, and it just didn't quite happen. Yeah, I was I was starting to really tune in and be ready to watch this Brady comeback happen. And all, all of a sudden, the game wasn't on my TV anymore. It was on a different one. <laughs> Fox was Fox was trying to hide the Tom Brady comeback. We actually don't know if it happened at this point because <laughs> nobody could nobody was allowed to watch it. Uh, I, I'm sure that Brady and his four point eight yards per attempt were to- totally going to bring that game back. Uh, but yeah, as you mentioned, the, uh, the the NFC South playoff race is quite interesting right now. We've got the Bucks sitting at six and seven, Panthers and Falcons right behind them at five and eight, the Saints at four and nine. That this is going to be a, uh, a a crawl to the finish for who <laughs> wins this division and get locks up that home playoff game. So I, I'm very excited to see that. Looking elsewhere around the league, we had some unusual players pop up uh, just with some big performances. Evan Engram led all players in fantasy points this week, uh, and I did not start him on my Scott Fishbowl team. So if that that is probably why I'm going to get eliminated this week if I do. Uh, looking elsewhere at the Broncos Chiefs game, Jarek McKinnon was the top scoring fantasy running back this week, thanks to over 100 receiving yards and two touchdowns. And on the other side of it, Jerry Judy had three touchdowns. So that Broncos Chiefs best ball week 17 game stack that apparently also worked for week 14. I drafted a lot of them. I'm sure that I have one team that has the Jerry Judy, Jarek McKinnon run back. So I will be digging through all of my best ball tournament rosters after this podcast. Uh, Other than that, we had Chris Moore of the Houston Texans uh, being a top five wide receiver for the week, catching 10 of his 11 targets for 124 yards. And we were treated to the Cowboys nearly losing to the one 10 and one Houston Texans. So a lot, a lot of fun action around the league this week, Drew. Oh, yeah, no doubt. And let's also not forget Justin Jefferson with, with 224 yards receiving. Uh, that's, a, that's a grown man total right there uh, from uh, Kirk Cousins, who had 425 yards passing of his own. So uh, definitely some, some offensive fireworks there in that Vikings-Lions game for sure. Uh, Jamison Williams catching his first career pass so ended up being a touchdown. And uh, uh, DJ Chark getting in the action, too, with 94 yards and a touchdown. So a lot of offense there 
Um, and uh, yeah, I'm sure that uh, you had that in mind with your best ball team when you picked Jarek McKinnon as your uh, RB one for sure. He'll, he'll definitely pop his RB one in one of these weeks. So here you are. So yeah, exactly. What if he's the guy you need in week 17? That's that's right. how you justify any best ball pick. What if he's the guy you need? Exactly. Uh, yeah. So, all right, Drew, you watch the Eagles and Giants game. So Philadelphia came away with the win 48 to 22. Why don't you take me through your initial thoughts on this game and just kind of tell me where your mind takes you when you're looking back over your notes? Sure. Yeah. So from the outset, the Eagles uh, uh, deferred on the coin toss. They were dominant on defense. Two sacks in the first drive, put the Giants in the fourth and 20. Uh, they just got the ball back, started moving the ball. Sanders chunk play here, here, there, everywhere. They had a great day. Um, Devonta Smith uh, was early and often from Hertz there. I think he had, what, six, six targets in the first 17 minutes of the game. Uh, the uh, Eagles... Uh, Scored, I guess Sanders scored the first touchdown, make it seven nothing, and then the uh, Giants in the first quarter didn't quite uh, show up yet. They had nine plays for 25 yards and two punts, so the uh, Giants didn't quite get going out of the gate. Um, Eagles scored a second touchdown, 14 nothing. Uh, they were at a fourth and seven on their own 41 yard line, and they decided to go for it. Oh no, it wasn't their own 41; it was the Giants' 41 yard line. But still, fourth and seven, uh, good field position. Uh, Seven nothing game, division rival. They went for it and uh, popped the forty-one yard touchdown to Devonta Smith, uh, which uh, not wasn't quite what I was expecting to happen there. I thought they were crazy going for it, but uh, quite wor- it worked out. That's just this team, just just uh, whatever they're doing works. It's just it's just every week. It just seems that uh, they just keep uh, piling it on and they beat you one way or the other. Uh, that play was something though. There was a bad angle taken, I guess, the safety on the play. Um, Giants then got the ball back. Couldn't do, do much with it. I guess they had a one first down from Bellinger. I think he only caught three passes, but all three of them were pretty big uh, as far as, you know, on third down, first down catches, keep the drive moving. Later left with an injury, uh, sadly, but uh, he looked pretty good. Um, and you could tell that he was part of the game plan for sure. Um, really weird play happened, I guess, in the second quarter. Uh, Giants went back to punt. Punter fumbled the snap. It was starting to rain, I guess. Um, kicked the ball off the turf. Uh Refs ruled an illegal kick loss of down. So it was 10 yards penalty. Eagles got the ball, good field position, very next play. Touchdown, A.J. Brown. Eagles are up 21 to nothing, and this looks like a laugher. Um, and uh, Eagles uh, then, however, uh, had three and out of their own, rock punt. Uh, I guess the punter ended up getting injured on the play. Um, but uh, Giants took the ball over in their own red zone. Another first down by Bellinger. Uh, Dan, Daniel Jones finds Isaiah Hodgins uh, on the sideline for a touchdown. It was his second touchdown in two weeks. A former draft pick of the Buffalo Bills, uh, fighting a home in the giant for the Giants, and he's uh, his target volume he keeps keeps going up, creeping up every week. He's looking more and more like a uh, a regular uh, in the Giants' offense. There, his snap share keeps going up. His uh, target volume keeps going up. Uh, Boston Scott run ran a kickback 66 yards to give the Eagles a good field position. Uh, couldn't do much with it though. They ended up getting the field goal out of it at the end of the half, 24 to seven. Eagles then uh, third quarter, eight plays, 63 yards, all on the ground. Another field goal. Giants answer two score game, uh, make it a two score game with a Daniel Jones touchdown uh, run, one yard. Uh, Captain 11 play, 75 yard uh, drive highlighted by a 17 yard scamper from Jones. A couple of 15 yard chunk plays in there by Hodgins and Richie James. Hurts uh, then answered. Um, just kind of looked like vintage Hurts this year, uh, and that is just putting the team on his shoulders, leading him down the field. Uh, touchdown run of his own from 10 yards. 
uh, 34-17 Eagles. That was kind of the beginning of the end for the Giants. Uh, sack after uh, Jones, uh, sack by Fletcher Cox. Pressure on the outside brought by Hassan Reddick on that one. was one of seven sacks on the day by the Eagles defense. Uh, the Giants had a key first down. Looked like they might get back in the game. But then it was called back to an offensive penalty. They couldn't convert, punted. Um, uh, Sanders then uh, took the uh, 40 yards to the house, 75, 76 yard drive. All but 19 of them were on the ground. Uh, Lane Johnson did leave with an abdominal injury, something to watch for the Eagles there. There's a star right tackle, Pro Bowl caliber player there. Um, but uh, after, the, after the fact, I learned that it doesn't look like it's serious. He kind of blew it off in the uh, post game uh, interview. So hopefully he'll be out there next week. But uh, Giants uh, uh, got kind of where Jones has kind of been pressure all day, mostly from the edges. Would you would expect that, you know, that massive defensive line they've got in the defensive tackle rotation, that that was where the pressure would be coming from. But it just seemed like it was always coming from the edge. Sweat, Reddick, Graham, just crushing from the outside. Uh, and then we mentioned before they had seven sacks. Uh, Minshew came in after a while. That, that was kind of all she wrote there. Kelsey, Jason Kelsey came out. Sanders came out. Boston Scott came in. Uh, you know, reserve offensive lineman, and they just still rolled it. Now, you know, Scott had a couple of huge runs. Scored a touchdown with 3.09 left to put 48 points on the board. That was the most the points the Eagles have scored against the Giants since 1959. Uh, and then Giants with a late garbage time touchdown. Reggie uh, Reggie from uh, James from uh, Terod Taylor, two-point two conversion to Hodges there, final of 48-22. to 22. Uh, And uh, Giants there just converting only four of 13 third downs. Uh, it's just, they just couldn't keep any drives going. The Eagles just kind of uh, just putting the pressure on them all day long. Yeah, I mean, when we start saying names like Terod Taylor and Boston Scott, I can tell that we got into garbage time yeah. uh, definitely in, at the end of that game. That is good context, uh, just looking at all of the Boston Scott production and the box score that that was garbage time driven. Uh, so I guess as a specific type of question uh, and also looking at the box score, I'm getting a pretty upset, pretty confused when I see only nine carries for Saquon Barkley and only two targets. Uh, so he came into this week uh, for like very questionable with a neck injury. Mm -hmm. uh, what, how did that seem to play out over the game? Was he get, was he missing drives? Was he being knocked out? What, what was kind of happening there? No, he was in the game. Um, there was a couple times where th there was obvious situations. They put him in a second and manageable, and um, he got the ball, and he just got he just got lit up before he could even get out of the backfield. There's just they were just the Eagles just just eating up that offensive line. The the pressure just through the line. Uh, like we said from the outside, there was a couple. There was one play in particular about halfway through the game, the second quarter, I think it was actually, uh, where he had a ball looked like it was gonna. There was a hole developing up the middle, but he just got never got a chance to get to it because both defensive end convened from outside just quickly got there and just crushed him. Uh, and uh, it's it just felt like it felt like the I mean he didn't look terrible. It just they just couldn't get anything going. Uh, the, the line I think is problematic. I think he's not obviously not himself. He's not the same player he was early in the season. That's for sure. So uh, he was I think in a better situation. Uh, he would have, he would have been fine, but, but yeah, nine carries, 28 yards, only had three, three yards per carry, uh, non-factor in the passing game. He only had two targets, like, uh, I think 20 yards. Uh, so not, not a great day for Saquon. Uh, and then I think tw as the game went on, would get more out of hand. I think they kind of just kind of sat him down. Why, why, why risk any, a further injury or aggravation of an injury when, uh, when the game's nowhere out of hand, uh, nowhere near, uh, winnable at that point. So Brightwell came in, got five carries for 23 yards, uh, 
that you know th- that was mostly garbage time. And Terod Taylor being the leading rusher for the Giants, uh, I don't think anyone had that one <laughs> coming into this week. Four, two carries for 40 yards, 30, including a 32-yard scamper there. Uh, again, all garbage time. I felt I think most of these, you know, at least half of these r- rushing yards from the Giants were were probably late in the in the fourth quarter in garbage time. Yeah, definitely, definitely good to know. And yeah, I mean, just as you said, Saquon Barkley has kind of not been himself recently, hasn't gone over 100 all purpose yards since back in week 10 against the Texans, which, yeah, everybody goes over 100 yards against the Texans. But (laughs) but yeah, since then, it's been pretty rough sailing does have a couple good matchups in week 16 and 17 with the Vikings and the Colts. So maybe things turn around, but yeah, I, I think it's fair to be concerned that these injuries are starting to catch up to him as the season kind of drags on. Uh, so another thing I wanted to ask you about was this New York giants receiving core, just to sort of demystify this for me a little bit, because I, I have been thinking of the Giants as, all right, it's it's just Darius Slayton and nobody else that matters or that commands targets. But I'm looking at these routes run. Darius Slayton was only third on the team. Uh, both Richie James and Isaiah Hodgins ran more routes than he did. Uh, also, Richie James led the way with eight targets and six to Isaiah Hodgins. So what did it? I know Darius Slayton has kind of been in and out of the doghouse with multiple different coaching staffs over his career. Did it seem like that was kind of what was going on or what was it just sort of more of a matchup based thing with Richie James getting open in the slot or yeah, just tell, tell me your thoughts on the receivers there. Yeah, I think I think matchups is a big part of it there. I mean, you're talking about Darius, Darius Slay and James Bradbury are two of the best, uh, probably one of the top three, if not the best duo corners in the league. Uh, and, uh, and your Slayton enters the game as your wide receiver one. He's just going to be a mismatch there. I mean, it's just as, I mean, he only had two, tar- uh, two catches, I think for th- on three targets officially in the books. I mean, there were at least one, if not two catches that he had that were called back due to penalties. Um, um, and I, I recall one in particular, um, but he just, you know, I just, you can't get anything done against Darius Slay. Uh, he's not Darius Slayton is fine. He's a fine NFL receiver, but he's just not cast as he's been. He's miscast right now as a wide receiver one. Uh, and uh, I think James uh, probably better suited to being a slot guy. Uh, just that's kind of more what I think was working for the Giants in that situation. He ended up having seven for sixty-one to touchdown. We said we said that it was a late garbage touchdown, but still uh, nine targets. Some of them were late. Um, but uh, yeah, Hodgins, I think, saw more targets earlier on. Uh, I think James saw quite a few more later later on uh, in the in the in the contest. But yeah, I think I think Slate and Hodges were kind of and Bellinger. I think were the three main guys that were kind of firing four out of the gate. I think Bellinger was uh, was key. I think in that point, and when they lost him, I think that that made uh, I think James probably a little bit more of a elevated role there for him uh, once once Bellinger went out, and uh, I think James was, was the guy they were starting to look to more on those key third downs. Yeah, that makes sense. So I, I mean, for those of us that are stuck tight end streaming, then Bellinger is going to be one to watch on the injury report for sure. Yep. Uh, moving over to the Eagle side, I'm glad I got you on the podcast right now because th- this Devonte Smith versus AJ Brown discussion is one I've kind of wanted to have because I, I in the preseason, I think we were both of the opinion that bo- both of them could definitely succeed in this offense. And that, that is largely what we've seen uh, through 14 weeks. But 
it has felt a little bit like Devonte Smith is getting these type of boom weeks a little bit more often. And I like he is regularly getting more targets than AJ Brown in certain games. So it was eight targets for Smith and six for Brown that I see in the box score this week. I just, it's, you've probably watched more Eagles than anybody else here at QB list. So I I'm just interested to get your take. Does it seem like these are one, a one B type of players is, is, is this more of a matchup based thing week to week or it, yeah, just kind of give me your thoughts there. Yeah. Well, I say, I would think AJ Brown obviously came out of the gate as the, as the guy. Uh, and I think there was a game early in the season where, where Devonta Smith did, I don't even know if he was targeted. Uh, he, he was, he was disappearing uh, from the offense. And then he had him out of, out of nowhere, had had an absolute blow up massive week. So he was kind of boomer bust at the outset, but lately he's been, he's had a much higher floor. I think they've really incorporated more in the offense. Uh, they're using him more on short and intermediate routes. Uh, so he's more of a feature, uh, kind of a go-to possession, kind of a receiver, if you will. Uh, and, uh, and they're really relying on him and he's really catching everything thrown his way. I mean, he's just got great, great hands. So, um, and uh, I, he had, uh, I think Brown had a, had a couple drops today, but they uh, were called back to the penalty. Uh, but uh, he, he had four for 70 and a touchdown Smith five for 64 and a touchdown on the season. Smith actually has one more catch than AJ Brown does, but AJ Brown has over a thousand yards uh, and Smith is at seven seventy five, uh, And I think Brown doubled him up in touchdowns 10 to five. So Brown's definitely been the, the big play guy. He's definitely been um, uh, he's had a couple of massive, massive games of his own. Uh, but Smith just seems to be creeping up there into uh, uh, more reliable, uh, weekly start territory works we would like to see in fantasy so you definitely can start both of these guys pretty much every week yeah we could i mean we could be talking about both of these guys as like top three top four round picks next year so that that i mean that's pretty exciting we had a few of those types of pairs obviously this year that me and eric talked about on the podcast uh last week so if you missed that go ahead and check that out uh, the, I guess the only other thing on the Eagle side I wanted to ask you about and maybe kind of point out a little bit is Miles Sanders has qu- kind of quietly been having a very, very good season, especially with the running back position fe- feeling more scarce this year, especially with there not being many like satellite back types that, or just kind of RB twos that you've been able to pluck off the wire having a Miles Sanders on your team all of a sudden looks pretty good right now. So I drew is Sanders like a threat to have this type of game in like on any given week, if the Eagles are getting into a positive game script like this, or again, was this kind of like the giants looking like they were defeated? Well, the giants in this game is a seven, four and one football team. So, and uh, they, they were looking like legitimate playoff contenders of their own. And then just, the Eagles just ran it right down their throats, just like they did against Green Bay, not to the same extent. Uh, but but Sanders had a day against the Titans as well. So he's he's uh, he's been having some big games against against some defenses that are a little soft against the run. But he's 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 very talented. He's got the ability to make to take the ball to the house really from anywhere on the field. And we saw that today with a 40 some yard touchdown run. Um, he's he had 17 carries today. Uh, Boston Scott had six, and most of them, as we said, were in garbage time. That's it. There were no other running backs that got the football. Gainwell had no carries, um, and that—that's that. So it, there was a time where we were worried about uh, 
carry as far as how those carry how the backfield is going to uh, shake out between Sanders and Gainwell and Scott and is this going to be a committee? This is Miles Sanders' backfield. Period. The end. Uh, and there's uh, he's getting pretty much, I would say probably eighty percent. I'm, I'm going to guess. I have to look at this and take a look at the stats. But it feels like he's been getting 75%, 80% at least or more of the carries uh, fr- from running backs in any given week. Uh, and it was probably would have been higher than that today had this not been an absolute runaway. So uh, Miles Sanders is becoming one of the probably – a uh, few running backs where you can plug them in there and not really worry, okay, well, is he going to lose a touchdown to this guy? Is he going to lose uh, third down carries here? So the only thing I'd like to see a little bit more is more usage in the passing game. So he only had three targets, caught one of them. But, I mean, we're splitting hairs now. He had 144 yards and two touchdowns, so at 8.5 yards per carry. So he's so he's super electric. And with this offense, the way that it's moving the football, it's just going to generate more and more opportunities in the red zone for Sanders. Yeah, he's definitely not quite on like the three down workhorse level. But yeah, I mean, at least on the ground, he's been getting the job done, which it which is nice. I, I definitely approve of that. Um, Last thing is, can I get a take out of you on the Eagles tight ends where right now it is with Dallas Goddard out? It's been a committee between Jack Stoll and Grant Calcaterra. And if your answer is stop trying to make either of them happen for fantasy football, that's also totally fine. Stop making either of them, either of them happen for fantasy football. So yeah, that's <laughs> just punt there. There's not a whole lot there. You're going to find they'll, you'll, they'll pop up with a, a game or two where they might have like a 25 yard catch or something like that. Maybe, maybe two catches for 30 or 40. But I think if you're expecting more than that, then you're going to be disappointed. These guys are not game breakers. They're not Dallas Goddard. Um, this, I can't imagine, uh, you know, um, this offense uh, doing things with uh, with with Stott or uh, uh, Stoll, I'm sorry, or um, or Calcaterra, uh, except for maybe maybe an errant like, oops, I guess he's wide open. I'll throw it to him. Touchdown, which uh, I guess could happen. But there's so many better streaming options out there. Yeah. And I, I guess Goddard is a, apparently eligible to start practicing again this coming week. So yes. def, definitely we'll be keeping our eyes on that. Mm-hmm. It, Drew, is there anything else about this game that you wanted to point out before we move on? No, I, I think we covered all that. We checked all the boxes. Uh, Barkley was a, bit, a little bit of a disappointment. I, I'm a little concerned for him going forward. Uh, I c- kind of wish that this was a bye week for the Giants. There was uh, like there's a lot of teams that are there, but I wish there was one for the Giants so that Barkley could have rested. But here we are. Um, but yeah, you did a good job of breaking up. I think the uh, the revolving door that's been the Giants wide receiving core. Uh, we it looks different than <laughs> than it did when we started the season. That's for sure. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think uh, I think James is a guy to watch for for uh, you know potential flex going forward. Maybe Slayton. But this just was not the week uh, for Darius Slayton from a matchup perspective. I I was telling people to avoid him um, and. Uh, but I think I think that's it. So the I think the Eagles defense is another takeaway. If for some reason you got if they're out there, somebody cut them for whatever reason. Uh, <laughs> they're just they're just getting better and better every week. So they're, they're just getting scary there. But the additions of Namakasu and and Linval Joseph, uh, those guys are just in fitting of that rotation there with Hargrave and uh, and Fletcher Cox. And uh, the, 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 we mentioned the pressure from the outside is there, and of course that great secondary. That that defense is uh, as good as the offense has been. That defense is really going to co- is really coming around too. And Jordan Davis just came back. Uh, and he, wait till he gets his leg under him, under him as well. So watch out. This I think this Eagles team uh, 
it's definitely the best team in the NFC. And I, uh, if you can make an argument that they're the best team in the NFL right now. Yeah, that will definitely be exciting to see where this team goes in the postseason. Uh, the 49ers are getting a lot of buzz right now for, I guess, a lot of deserved reasons doing what they just did uh, oh, yeah. with Brock Purdy uh, to the Buccaneers, as as we mentioned earlier. But yeah, it yeah. should should be uh, it. The NFC is more interesting now than I would say it was a month ago. Right. Uh, yeah. So that's not nice. the Cowboys out either, even though they almost blew one to the Texans. So, yeah, <laughs> of course. Yeah. All right. Uh, so moving on to the other game. Uh, so I watched the Jets lose to the Buffalo Bills. Uh, I this is like a Jets podcast now. Apparently, I've just been watching the Jets like for the last three weeks in a row uh, with my Patriots being on primetime. Uh, so ultimately, the Jets did fall short 20 to 12. Uh, in general, before we get into like the meat of these games and some of these stat lines, I just want to say that it was a very weird game. Uh, the weather was a big factor. It w- At first, I was kind of watching like on the screen, and you, you can't always tell if there's bad weather when you're just watching from the normal broadcast angle of a football game. I'm like, this doesn't look that bad. Like I can, I can maybe see a little rain or something, but especially as the game went on, it just felt like it was turning into more and more of a blizzard. Like there, there was some wintry mix, some wind going on. It looked like it was really cold. Like you could see the, um, like, like you could see Josh Allen's breath going out like <laughs> six feet in front of him. So that a pretty classic Buffalo weather game, I'd say. Uh, and what that led to was kind of a lot of offensive miscues for both of the teams. Uh, there were ineligible man down field penalties, a ton of false starts, a ton of holding. Uh, you like the announcers just continued blaming the weather every time there was any errant throw. I, I don't know if it, that is acceptable for all of them, but the, I, I think the first eight or nine drives of this game ended in punts. So it, it, it was scoreless for a while. Uh, and as a result of that, the just the play volume, especially on the Bills side, was just so down that it's not surprising necessarily that none of the Bills, aside from Josh Allen, really delivered for fantasy football in any way. Uh, but I, I don't think that before we get into it, I don't think it is like a systemic issue with the Bills offense. It was just kind of how the game played out uh, today. Um, yeah, I, I noticed in the look at the box score, the Bills only converted two of 13 uh, third downs. It just it feels like uh, maybe was that the weather getting in the way there, do you think? Or it looks like the Jets were a little bit better converting than thir- third downs. Uh, but uh, yeah, I just I saw like so a few clips there. There was some snowflakes. I could see that. But I, I that's I couldn't. I What's your take there? Does that is that a is that something that really kind of got in the way of their ability to kind of convert on third downs or is it just just misfiring all around it, it was just kind of misfires all around um like i mean the jets were definitely getting to josh allen on third downs especially uh so yeah a, a lot of it was also that both of these defenses kind of are built to counter the other's offense they were in a ton of cover two shell you heard tony romo say those words about 50 times throughout the game uh so it, it 
really was a game that was destined to just be a bunch of running a bunch of short quick throws underneath type of stuff um so not it just wasn't a good environment for explosive plays and for converting on third downs really um so i do want to start with mike white since he's been the quarterback i've been faithfully covering for the last three weeks uh but like i said there especially early on for white there was a lot of checking down and just not being willing to throw past the sticks uh he he was throwing i think he was throwing into the wind in the first half and you could tell because it would just land at every receiver's feet like that it's like like he's missing the exact same way over and over so it's like there's probably an arm strength into the wind type of issue there uh but the, I mean, the real story with Mike White through this game is he just kept taking hits uh, right before halftime. He stepped up in the pocket, made a nice throw to Elijah Moore, but kind of the defender's helmet like went into his chin and like kind of his sternum uh, and like and like pinched his helmet in uh, like it looked like he got the knock the wind knocked out of him really, really badly. So. He kind of walked off the sideline. Uh, Joe Flacco entered the game for a couple plays and then White came back in. Uh, so that that's like the setup in the beginning, right? Uh, in the second half, and notice I'm skipping over the first half because very, very little actually happened in the first half. But Mike White comes out in the second half, uh, makes an excellent sideline throw to Garrett Wilson. Uh, he's like hitting Denzel Mims in a tight window over the middle, uh, setting up a Zonovan Knight touchdown. So that that's the first drive after halftime. It's like, okay, like they've made some adjustments. He kind of looks like a new man, but then on the next drive, he gets knocked down, win knocked out of him again by Matt Milano. Uh, Joe Flacco comes in, immediately fumbles on the first play. Uh, and then the broadcast pans up and we see Mike White walking into the locker room. So it's like, all right, this this one's probably over They're They're talking about how Braxton Berrios is the emergency QB. It's like, oh, man, like that this game is done. And it's like the third quarter. Uh, but <laughs> Mike White miraculously walks back out of the locker room uh, and comes back for the next series. He's like very obviously in pain for the entire end of this game just kind of fighting through it in the fourth quarter, even though they're down two scores, like they, they very easily could have said, okay, like sit, sit down for the rest of this game and rest up and ma- make sure like your ribs aren't destroyed. Might, might've been like a decent <laughs> idea, but they know that Mike White ke- came back in and kept fighting. Uh, and that it was almost ruined by a Michael Carter fumble late where that, that was the second time in the game where I was like, all right, the jet, the jets are done. This is over. Uh, but they managed to pin the bills, uh, kind of back by their own goal line and block the punt for a safety. Uh, but it's still a two score game at this point. Uh, the jets drive down the field, settle for a field goal in the red zone, which I I didn't really love considering they only had about a minute left, which would mean they had to go and score eight on the next drive. Uh, They managed to get the quick stop, but then they get the ball back with under a minute left and predictably just turn it over on downs. So 
a, just a lot of drama throughout the game, a, like a lot of different times where you're like, oh, maybe the Jets will do something here, but that it just nothing ever really came of it. Uh, and I, I guess the only other thing to say about the quarterback situation is Tony Romo was defending his like draft day take on him being really high on Zach Wilson, which I didn't even know was a take that Tony Romo had, but he made a comment that Zach Wilson will eventually be the best quarterback on this roster. And that maybe when he's in the fourth year of his career, then he'll be better than Mike White. So I don't, I don't really know what the point of that comment was. It's like, I, I don't know that it matters how good your rookie quarterback is, is in the fourth year of his contract when it's about, when it's about to expire and you have to pick up his fifth year option. Like hopefully you're seeing something before year four, uh, so I, I thought that was pretty funny from Romo. Yeah, I, that's that, that's shocking to hear that. So, I mean, I I kind of understand you, uh, you know, the, the take of, listen, Zach Wilson did some idiotic things and he's a kid and he's going to do dumb things. And maybe maybe next year he'll turn it around, things like that. But uh, I, this is not I don't think it's a situation here where Mike Mike White is clearly the guy that the Jets are really kind of rallying around it just seems like a bad take to just all of a sudden say hey you know what this Zach Wilson guy is going to be the best quarterback on the rock uh, that's not what the New York Jets think right now so it's it seems it does seem like a very strange strange take so I can see where he's going with it and I don't disagree that Wilson's has better days lying ahead but I really think you need to pump the brakes on you know laying it on thick and saying that he's going to be the, the long-term answer for the Jets. Cause right now he's persona non grata and we don't know if he's going to be the starter for the Jets in 2023 at this point. Yeah, exactly. And I, I mean, he did acknowledge like Mike White is clearly the, their best option right now. And the Jets are a good enough team that they should just be playing their current best option. Uh, but yeah, I, I just thought it was kind of entertaining to listen to. And I, I mean, I I've given this take about Mike White a few times, but it, remains true that he goes through his read progressions very well. He gets the ball out quickly. He kind of, he just does everything that Zach Wilson doesn't like. Will I think Wilson was last in time to throw and Mike White is the, the opposite of that. So yeah, this is definitely what the team needs right now. And I, there was not going to be any Joe Flacco takeover from the limited action we saw of him today. Uh, so moving into the backfield, this is, Probably the other kind of big story of this game is I, I think Zonovan Knight is just here to stay for at least for the rest of the season in this Jets backfield. Uh, he would I said last week that he looked explosive. He was looking explosive again this week. Uh, he just kind of whenever he has a hole, he does something with it. Like there there are times when he'll get hit behind the line of scrimmage. He's not going to make like five guys miss and turn nothing into something. But if he has a chance, he is going to advance the football. Uh, he he did score. Uh, he did break a few tackles on that. It was from out around the 12 yard line and his final line ended at 17 carries, 71 yards in that touchdown. And he caught both of his targets. Uh, but most notably and on, honestly, like the, best thing for Zonovan Knight right now is that Michael Carter did not look good at all. Uh, he was mixing in throughout the entire game, uh, include like including on the very first drive. So the plan was obviously to have both of these guys be someone involved uh, with Knight mostly on early downs and Carter on passing downs. But 
even on those passing downs and in that role, Carter was making mistakes. Early on, he dropped an easy check down. Uh, he messed up a block on the third series. Uh, it, he just didn't look good. It's it just, yeah, he, he was just kind of going nowhere. I already mentioned his fumble late in the fourth quarter that it, it didn't ultimately end the Jets, but it just kind of sucked the air out of the room. You were like, oh man, like this, this is probably not going to happen at this point. Uh, it, it seemed like throughout the game, the coaching staff realized this and was adjusting because Carter ended with only five attempts and six targets. Uh, so it, yeah, I just was very disappointed in what I saw of Michael Carter. I kind of thought that he was pretty good if you'd, and I'm on record on this podcast saying that Michael Carter's good as early as like a month ago. Uh, but I, I just don't think it's happening. I, I'm sure he was still kind of hampered by the injury. So I'm sure that's part of it. But at the same time, like Carter and Knight were the only two running backs to see any snaps on offense. Uh, Ty Johnson was not involved in this one. James Robinson was a healthy scratch. So that, that just makes Zonovan Knight very, very interesting for fantasy. Like we, don't have to worry about any sort of three-headed backfield uh kind of like we had speculated before so the, oh i agree yeah, yeah. so yeah look, things are looking up for night coming out of this for sure yeah i, I look over the digging deep into the snap counts and things like that that zombie night had 30 uh 35 snaps uh carter 37 but Carter only touched the ball with 10 times in those 37 snaps, so maybe about a little more than a quarter of the time, whereas Zonovan Knight, 17 carries, a uh, couple, two targets, I think it was, on 35 snaps. It means he's he's more than half of the time that he was on the field, he ended up with the football. So that tells you a lot right there. Uh, the coaching staff really likes leaning on him. And, uh, I mean, you, you said it, James Robinson being a healthy traded for that guy, and here he is as a healthy scratch. They clearly like what they have in Zonovan Knight. So I, I, I was kind of a little skeptical coming into the game. I mean, yeah, okay, he had a good game he he made a believer out of me today um you know the buffalo bills are a pretty strong team very strong defense uh and uh, he had a pretty pretty impressive performance against them yeah if he keeps putting out performances like this i'm gonna have to cave to everybody and start calling him by his nickname which is bam knight apparently <laughs> i don't yeah. i feel a little silly saying that but if, the, if that's what everyone's going with i might need to get on board uh and then I guess looking to the Jets receiver core, uh, I, I mean, again, the big story here is that Corey Davis was banged up in the first quarter uh, while he was making a nice catch. He kind of like got kicked in the back of the helmet or, or like need coming like while he was coming down. Uh, he kind of got up and like stumbled off. Uh, so then he just kind of stood on the sideline the rest of the drive, walked to the locker room, and then was ruled out uh, with a head injury. So li likely some sort of concussion protocol going on here, or I, I mean, hopefully it's not some sort of structural neck injury either, because that that would also that would be even more long term. But regardless, would expect him to miss at least a game based on how concussions have been handled in the NFL this year. Uh, so what that means is Elijah Moore and Denzel Mims were both heavily involved in the offense, which is, 
maybe not something I would have expected uh, even a month ago, but we, we are here with Elijah Moore commanding 10 targets, uh, only running four less routes than Garrett Wilson. Uh, he didn't really make any super splashy plays. Uh, he only caught six of those 10 targets for 60 yards. A lot of them were kind of just short balls near the sideline. Uh, a couple were just at his feet. Um, from Mike White not being able to throw into the wind. Uh, but like they were moving him around the formation a lot. And there there was clearly like a desire for him to be a full-time player and be involved in the offense. So at this point, I'm kind of happy to run out and see if I can buy low on Elijah Moore, if, if there were any places in Dynasty that I didn't already have him. But <laughs> I, yeah, just now that he's more fully involved and he's obviously had a rough go in in this sort of sophomore slump, but I I'd be pretty interested, especially depending what the jets do at quarterback this off season in what him and Garrett Wilson could be capable of next year. Uh, Look elsewhere, Denzel Mims, five targets caught three for 35 Garrett Wilson still led the way uh, in terms of yardage. He caught six of his seven targets for 78 yards he was just kind of doing normal Garrett Wilson things, uh, multiple tough catches in traffic up the middle, a couple nice sideline grabs. Didn't really get get loose for any huge plays like we've seen him do the last couple weeks. Uh, because as I said, like a, a lot of this game was just kind of bottling up those deep shots. Uh, so it ju- just wasn't really the game environment for that. Uh, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not at all concerned about a somewhat of a down week for Garrett Wilson. And I guess the only other thing I want to mention on the Jets side is they had quite a few injuries in this one. Uh, Quinn and Williams went down with a non-contact left calf injury. Uh, he had already had two sacks in the game. So it, it was kind of like, oh man, what, like, what is the just the Jets pass rush going to look like now? As, as soon as he left, Allen got sacked twice in a row. Uh, so that, I mean, it's clearly they made some adjustments and we're fine with that. But yeah, I, it's get the Jets are defense is getting a, a little bit thin at this point. There's been, been a lot of injuries piling up lately. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested. I mean, I want to go back to Elijah Moore for a second there. I'm, 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 I'm my interest has peaked. Uh, you mentioned the weather being what it is and it being a factor and Mike White getting his basically his soul crushed, I think, on that one play. Um, is this a situation now where we're seeing more becoming a bigger part of the offense uh, under better circumstances? Do we, do we still think he has that? We still has that, uh, uh, that breakout potential then looks like he's I think it's the, if I remember if I remember correctly his, his snap share had kind of been going up uh, in the weeks leading leading into this and it kind of feels like and maybe you can correct me uh, on this looking things over but kind of feels like the biggest beneficiary of Davis going out was really Mims getting more playing time uh, and then I guess Mims being out there uh, I guess meaning more got more of the targets is that kind of am I reading the tea leaves right here yeah, I would say that that's fair. Yeah, I mean, just looking at Elijah Moore's snaps, he had had a couple games up above 50% in the last few weeks anyway. Uh, but I mean, now he was running basically every single route. Uh, last last week, I he had been kind of like building up to this. So yeah, I, it has been like a smooth kind of natural increase in his playing time uh, since, since the trade deadline. Um, but 
yeah, I, I would say that Mims was like the direct one who had more playing time because Davis was out. But yeah, it seems like Moore has an easier time earning targets when he's competing with Mims than he does with Corey Davis. So yeah, and I, I mean, the Jets do have Detroit next week and Jacksonville the week after. So there, there could be some production in this passing game. And Elijah Moore, I would not be surprised to see him put up a couple big performances down the stretch here so definitely something to watch out for all right all right let's move over to the bill side i just kind of have way less to say here because as i mentioned uh the the bills were leading for most of this game it was generally like a low offense low volume type of game uh the only reason the jets got up there in plays was because of all the hurry up they were running and like in the last eight minutes or so trying to come back uh but the bills were kind of content to mostly nurse their lead uh and i mean that led to only 27 pass attempts for josh allen uh dawson knox actually led the way with seven targets caught four of them for 41 yards and the touchdown, uh, which was an awesome, awesome touchdown. He, yes, it was. Yeah, ca- catches the ball, ca- like tr- hurdles a defender, but gets mm-hmm. sent into like a somersault. It it looked really cool. Go watch the highlight if you haven't seen it. Uh, but aside from Knox, there just wasn't a lot of production in the Bills passing game. Five targets apiece for Stefan Diggs and Isaiah McKenzie, uh, four targets for Gabe Davis. There's just not a lot to say here. Uh, McKenzie had like a really bad third down drop early on. Uh, Diggs had like one big gain on not really a busted coverage, uh, but kind kind of it's it's like the Stefan Diggs version of a busted coverage where he just runs by everybody uh but there the bills just weren't really moving the ball much through the air like a a lot of their offense was drawing penalties uh like there was a big DPI drawn by Khalil Shakir that got him into the red zone uh it was a lot of just Josh Allen scrambles to move the sticks um and the other touchdown was Allen running it in himself so the the only like big the only potential big play was actually to John Brown early on. Uh he this was apparently the only route he ran in the game, but he nearly caught a 50-yard bomb like on the goal line. Uh but Sauce Gardner made an awesome play on it and after that the Bills just kind of stopped trying to go deep. I I don't know that I don't know why the deep throw to John Brown was is like your one attempt at it. at going deep but i i mean hard to argue with the results that the bills got but yeah like as i said the jets were getting to allen uh at least four sacks in this game i'm not not sure exactly how many but josh allen was still doing josh allen things uh he hurtled two defenders at once for a first down at one point um and as i was saying like there were a lot of penalties in this one and one that kind of jumped out was CJ Mosley like jumped over the center and tackled Dawson Knox to the ground uh, where, but they hadn't snapped the ball. It was like a fake direct snap. So they managed to get an encroachment penalty out of that to move the sticks. So just kind of like little tricks and trickery like that was what the bills were living off of. Uh, They, they certainly weren't living off of the run game. 
there were only 13 rush attempts and four targets combined for the entire backfield. And it was split up three ways this game, which is pretty frustrating for fantasy, obviously. Uh, Singletary had a few nice gains on the ground up the middle, uh, but there, there just wasn't much going on here. The, it was 29 snaps for Singletary, 24 for James Cook, and Naheem Hines getting involved with 10 snaps and kind of torpedoing any utility that Singletary or Cook could have. So I, comparatively, I'm way less optimistic on this James, whole James Cook thing after watching this week because if Hines is involved whatsoever, like th- their roles are just very redundant. They're both mostly being used in the passing game. And if Cook isn't getting absolutely all of that, then he's just not going to be that relevant, unfortunately. Yeah, I had I had high hopes for Cook this week. I thought he had a pretty decent week last week. He had like 14, I think, carries. So it's kind of felt like there was a changing of the guard where we had this nice young player coming in that's super talented. Uh, he's a nice rookie out of Georgia. But uh, just like you said, just didn't quite happen. And uh, it's like... It just sounds like a big mess. And I'm looking over the, the game log here now, the game stats, and Bills only had the ball for 25 minutes and 35 seconds, and the, the Jets had it for almost nine minutes longer. Uh, and they ran 73 plays to the Bills' 54. So uh, it just Bills didn't really have many opportunities to do much with the ball. It kind of felt like looking things over with the Jets being so much more efficient on third down and um, and – I'm sorry, Bam Knight <laughs> running the ball so well. And looks like Mike White uh, was getting it done, I guess, in the short passing game for the most part, 27 to 44. Uh, that's what 60-some percent, almost two-thirds, not quite, uh, So of his passes. So uh, I could see that. I could see the uh, Jets trying to play keep away from the Bills' offense as being part of their game plan, but uh, coming up short there. Yeah, definitely. And I'm glad you put some numbers to that because even just watching it, that was the feel that the jet, the jets just constantly had the ball. And I, yeah. I mean, I mean, it is, I mean, yeah, that's probably a legitimate strategy. Yeah. You probably, probably want to try to keep it away from Josh Allen as much as you can. Um, but is, is there any other questions, anything else you wanted to cover about this game, Drew, or can we wrap it up? I think we can wrap it up. I think I think we had I think we had high expectations for some of the bills, and I think the sounds like the weather uh, really had uh, other designs in mind for us, and uh, left us a lot of us kind of kind of sad in, in in our feelings about people. We expected things from from uh, Diggs and Gabe Davis, potentially maybe uh, showing everybody how great they were against these vaunted corners that never materialized. James Cook, Singletary, neither one of them doing anything. So. Just, just seems like a just, just a whole bunch of sadness from fantasy perspective. Yeah, yeah, that's. <laughs> I think that's a good way to cap it off. All right. Well, thanks for joining me, Drew. I had a great time here in my podcast hosting debut. I think things went pretty well. Uh, if you want to hear about all of the other games, uh, check out the What We Saw article that will be out Monday morning and just generally keep it locked on QBList.com. We have lots of articles and different coverage throughout the week uh, that we don't talk about enough or plug enough on this podcast. Uh, I'll be back later in the week with week 15 sit start. Can't believe we're getting a week 15. The playoffs are starting, Drew, and I'm excited. So, yeah. yeah. So thanks for listening, and I will talk to you guys later this week.